call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 73 of Call It Friend of the podcast, where usually two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Donica Tiernan, watched this year's Best Picture winner, Coda. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the film right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at CallItFriendoPodcast. Drop us a line there if any feedback or recommendations. Peace. Rose and flows of angel hair And ice cream castles in the air And feather canyons everywhere Yo! What's the crack? The crack is back. Hell yeah. We took some time off for the uh, resurrection of Christ by way of (laughs) chocolate That's exactly the reason. It was mostly egg related. Yeah, yeah. Do they do eggs in Croatia? You better believe it. They love old Jesus here. Are they big on the G? They seem to be. They're all all you you types, you people. You You know know what I mean, you people. Just in a breakfast conversation with my wife there this mm-hmm. morning, I, I, you know, I'll just say, what country do you think is the best? Do you know Croatia is the most obese country in Europe? I find that hard to believe. Everyone is extremely sporty. They're all wearing Adidas three-stripe, as am I. Hell yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. I like them more already. But all I'm going by is the statistics on this website. Wait a minute. It sounds like lies to me. Unless I got the actual map wrong, which is very possible. <laughs> You sure is in Korea? I am not sure. Oh, no. It was... It <laughs> Turns out it's Slovenia that's the most obese. <laughs> that's interesting. Easy mistake to make. Ver- very mildly interesting, but it is interesting nonetheless. Yes, I was because it, it stemmed from... Because I was in France for the last few days, which was awesome. I love France. I was in Toulouse. And uh, I was asking Belen, do you think uh, the Spanish are more obese or the French? Which do you think? Do you think the Spanish person is going to call her own people fat? I say no. Well, she did, and she was right. Oh. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Wow. Spain right. is more obese. Also, you know a thing that, you know, the, you know the stereotype of French people being total cunts? <laughs> yeah, I'm aware. Yeah, yeah. It turns out, like, it's not really true so much outside of Paris. Like, everyone was super friendly, overwhelmingly so. Every, like, I, I don't know, they, we were blown away by it. And just, you know, the nice food and cheese, and we ate a million oysters. I got diarrhea. That'll do it. But I got a, one more thing I have to say, because now, Please, you know, at the it. moment I work from home, I, so I've been quite sedentary recently. And then I did loads of tourist walking, like two days tourist walking. And get this, the, the worst old man complaint ever. All night long last night trying to sleep, my legs really hurt. So I'm going to have to <laughs> just increase the exercise fold if I'm going to continue being sedentary all the time because it just, I felt so pathetic. I, my legs hurt. And they did. They really hurt. The Bro, thighs, I've the calves, years they hurt. Huh? I've, I ruined my knees at some point, like a few months ago. So it only gets worse. From doing all that walking and stuff. Yeah. And yeah, I did a lot of walking over Easter out of respect for our Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And your knees are sore. And my legs hurt too. Yeah. Oh, man. It hurts. Doing stuff hurts. Yes, it does. But I'm just like, I'm going to be a goonie and not say die yet. You know, I'm going to, I want to hang on. I don't want (laughs) to, I don't want to, I don't want my wife to be saying like, oh, no, Donica couldn't come today. His legs hurt. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but that's just the way it's going. (laughs) 
they hurt so bad. They hurt really badly. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, That's why you head. had a daughter, to push you around. I had a dream about different people giving me solutions to fix my legs. Like, that's how bad they hurt. Anyway, yurt. It's been a long time since we did a What you, We've Been Watching. I imagine that we've all watched, we've both watched uh, a ton of shit. I certainly have. In fact, I'm not even going to talk about all of it because there's way too much. Okay. How about you start? So you I, I've cut it down Let's to, go back and I've, forth. Okay. Let me just say this. I've cut it down to four things. Okay. Four I, things I would like to say something about, really. What about you? Um, I have slightly more than that, but I can, I'll, skip to, I'll skip very quickly through a lot of it. Put it like that. Yeah. I've, 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 yeah, I could say I've, there's four things I actually want to say something about. Yeah, okay. There's four things I want to say something about for now. Maybe I'll come back to one of the other ones at some other point, but do you want me to get started with my first? Do. Well, I think I mentioned this when I started watching it, but I'm 100% on board with only talking about things when they're done. Sweet. Or when I'm done with them. So I finally finished Peacemaker. The oh, okay. eight episode HBO Max series the suicide squad spin-off i've heard nothing but good things and you're not going to hear any different from me because it's fun it's funny great action surprisingly moving it's uh it's got a plot with a lot of unexpected twists and uh john cena is a a, a legit actor now he's somehow. good now. he was great in the yeah film. he's great he was great in the film and this is just extending that basically this is the same character he I'm delighted to hear that because I was... kind of die in Suicide Squad, the film. Spoilers for that. Yeah, yeah, but, but there's a pre, there's a mid credit scene where you see him coming back. I don't think I saw that. I think I may have left the cinema. Yeah, but yeah. they show that in the in the show. I think they basically would have just um, shot that once uh, the show got greenlit and and stuck it in there quickly. Mm. But I'm gl- I'm delighted because I don't know. I like I've heard some critics being oddly sniffy about the Suicide Squad just like it was too much of the same gag or whatever, but I just, I felt it was exponential. And every time I thought if they get bigger, more bigger and ridiculous once more, it's going to overflow and spill, but it didn't. It just, I kept with it. I enjoyed it every step of the way. And I've heard, I've heard for one thing, the Peacemaker uh, intro is one for the ages. I would like to watch that right now. Just the intro on its own. I should get that queued up. Just have it ready to go on my YouTube. It's great fun. It's a classic James Gunn where all the uh, cast members dance to a song by a Swedish kind of hair rock slash metal band. Sounds awesome. It is great. But the one person that really surprised me, I have to give a shout out to, I didn't recognize him at all. The MVP is Freddie Stroma. Do you know who that is? No. He was Cormac McLaggen in Harry Potter, whoever that is. I don't watch that. It's for children. <laughs> and uh, he was Luke the English DJ in Pitch Perfect, which is obviously something for uh, highbrow adults. People like Pitch Perfect. I've never seen it. Anyway, I mean, like the it. show, John Spillane's a big fan. I do. I remember he was doing a full Pitch Perfect three film watch yes, through was. on a train or something. Like, a, like the legend <laughs> he is. The shameless legend he is. But this guy, I've, I've seen him, I've definitely seen him in Pitch Perfect, but in this, so he's playing Vigilante, who's peacemake, Peacemaker's psychic. Uh, he's basically Deadpool, but a total loser. And he's excellent. It's just, it's surprising to see someone like this. I mean, he's English mm. and he comes off as like Ryan Reynolds or something. 
Do you know, without seeing a frame of Peacemaker, I gotta say, for me, the most impressive thing is just is just James Gunn and just the insane work rate of just making that movie in reaction to getting, let's be fair, in reaction to getting fired from Guardians of the Galaxy 2, mm-hmm. uh, shooting that movie in the meanwhile, getting that job back, and then in the midst of COVID, like, conceiving this entire series, he says if he could have gotten away with it, he would have directed every episode himself. He says he's going to direct every episode of the second yeah, season. season two. And he's in the middle of shooting Guardians 3 right now. And the thing is, the, it's these aren't. It's not like you know. This is just you know. He's not taking the lazy way out like Chloe Zhao and just finding stories in America. These are coming out of his head. This is amazing. He was always extremely creative. I think we talked about that at some stage with his background in trauma films. Mm. So yeah, I'm excited to see what happens next. All right, sweet. I'll come at you with one. So I watched. I finished watching. It was broadcasting over many weeks, starring uh, Nora Dunn of the Leftovers fame. I can't mm-hmm. re- actually. Re- Carrie Hoon. Jesus, Carrie Coon. Carrie Coon. <laughs> Carrie Coon. Uh, Wait, yeah. Nora Dunn is a character, right? I was like, who's yeah, yeah. Nora Dunn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I watched um, Julian Fellows' latest uh, thing. He's the guy who did uh, Downton Abbey, The Gilded Age. Now I know you and listeners to the show might think I'm super cool, but and I don't know how super cool it is to love Downton Abbey, but I fucking love Downton Abbey. I was always a big fan, hooked in it. Less so in the later seasons, but certainly the first two I really, really loved. Just because despite all the soap opera the the soap opera stuff, I thought they there's just interesting moments in history that they're quite good at capturing. And I think like people will definitely disagree with this, but fuck it. What was most interesting to me in, in Downton was the the epoch and the different aspects of it they they caught they caught of it like you'd see glimpses of the IRA or they're getting telegrams to tell them the war had started but the gilded age is the just sinking of the titanic yeah yeah exactly the gilded age oh so you have seen downton <laughs> i was definitely i don't want to say forced to watch the first few seasons but it was like a watching with a girlfriend type ah. thing the same reason i've seen a lot of sex in the city I've seen every episode of Sex and the City, <laughs> every, every <laughs> single episode. Um, You're such a Samantha. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, so this is said like, I don't know, it, they call it the Gilded Ages. The, like the first Nouveau Reach in, in New York, it's around the time that like the Age of Innocence would have been set with the robber barons and stuff like that. Mm. Really fascinating period of history. And he, he sort of lays it down again. You get like, you know, the old money versus the new money. And, you know, there's little things about like, racism brewing up and like electricity appearing in New York. Fascinating stuff. I looked forward to it immensely every week and I really, really enjoyed every episode and it's been renewed for a second season. So uh, I can't wait for that. Where is this? Um, You'll find it on HBO. Is it available? HBO. And actually, because I'm going to be doling out more than more than you this week, I'll just slam on another thing that's in on HBO because cool. it's qu- very quickly. I also, even though I started disliking it from episode two, I'm just, I had to finish it. I slogged through all of The Tourist, which was uh, written and directed by your boys who made The Missing, you know, those lads. Which, which one's The Missing? With James Nesbitt. Oh, that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Ollie. Ollie, yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah exactly. The um, first season of The Missing is good, but the second one I did not enjoy so much. That was the one that was set in Germany. Uh, yeah, I ain't seen the second yet. I, I, I really like the first one, especially it. the first ending. First one's great. great. Yeah set up in uh, the world cup in 98 or something something yeah, along them lines yeah France but anyway no, wait, these sorry. boys now one thing that's interesting about the tourist is uh 
you get to see how good the Coen brothers are because these boys are clearly trying to do something of an impression of the Coens and they just think what you need is a little bit of darkness and wacky characters and some noir elements. They might uh, they might deny to this very podcast that they're trying to do that, but it's obvious they're doing it. You just have to watch it one episode. There's a quick little part at the start where Jimmy Doran's being chased like in Steven Spielberg doing, is Steven Spielberg's duel. He's out in the desert in Australia. Um, he wakes up with right, amnesia. Now I know what you're talking about. I thought this was like... Uh... BBC production. I didn't realize it was in association with HBO. Well, it's appeared on HBO Max over here. I'm not sure. It might be a BBC production. Yeah, it is definitely. I mean, it'll be like a, one of those co-productions. But yeah, it was on. It was on BBC. But anyway, that's the kind of thing they're going for. But it just kind of, yeah, if anything, it's good for Jamie Dornan just being like unbelievably good looking. Fair play to him. But they've, I don't know. It's just all. You can spot everything that's going to happen a mile off, even though there's supposed to be surprises in it. You can see them trying to do a Coen's impression, and it'll just make you go, ah, that's why the Coen's are so good, because it might just seem like wacky characters, but their wacky characters are so deep and real in a way that these aren't. These are just very, very flat. And there's an ending on it that is supposed to pack power after all the glibness, but after all the glibness, it's like about drug trafficking. It's, I don't know, for me, it was just a fucking mess. And in a bizarre move, they decided to renew it for a second season, uh, which I hopefully will have the willpower not to watch. I will have the willpower not to watch because I didn't enjoy four out of these six episodes, but sure, whatever, I'm me. You go. Well, my uh, uh, second thing that I watched uh, is also produced by HBO. Mm-hmm. And Playtone. Remember Playtone? Yes. Yeah, what, what, what have they produced? Band of Brothers and The Pacific. Mm-hmm. Well, it was The Pacific. Hell yeah! You got to the end of the Pacific. Finally got around to watching. I did. I did. And when I was watching those credits, those Playtone credits, the three producers, Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, and who's the third producer of Playtone? Gary Goatsman. Nice. Gary Goatsman, who... The legend. That's the guy who loads of his stories are in Licorice Pizza. That's right. Mm. He is the, the basis of that character in Licorice Pizza. So it was weird to see his name and go like, oh, yeah, he's mates with Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. Tight. And produced all this stuff. I originally started watching The Pacific when it came out. I love Band of Brothers, obviously, because yes. I'm a human. And uh, I think like most people, when I started watching The Pacific, I was a, I was a little bit disappointed. Different because rhythm. Because it's, it's not the same. Yeah, different rhythm. You're following these these three leads this this theater of war is completely different. Yeah, than, you're not following a company like, yeah. Yeah, and for some reason, I gave up originally the first time after the first three episodes. And I think it was because I said to myself, oh, I'll wait until I can one day get the Blu-ray of this because the copies I was originally watching weren't very high quality. Mm. And then one day I realized, hey, I can probably get hold of <laughs> Blu-ray quality. <laughs> I can go to my local Blu-ray shop and get yes. a nice big Blu-ray and put that into my Blu-ray player, which I definitely own. Sweet. And uh, I can watch it. So I'm, I'm actually ashamed that I never finished it at the time because my incomplete understanding of the series from part four onwards is where it really it starts to take shape. Yeah. And it becomes something so horribly dark yeah. It's so much worse than Band of Brothers in terms of what almost what happened, except for episode nine of Band of Brothers. There are multiple moments 
throughout the series where I was just transfixed watching watching these characters go through some of the most disturbing and and violent things you can possibly imagine doing like one thing that sticks out to me is where rami malik who i didn't even know was in this yeah that's the first right time i watched Old Freddy I don't himself. Think even, he plays the, the almost kind of psycho character snafu and yeah the one scene of him that sticks in my mind is where him and sledge played by joseph mazello are sitting next to each other next to some japanese corpses and we hear this plopping sound of something hitting water that's what it sounds like. And Sledge looks up and Snafu's throwing pebbles into the skull of a Japanese soldier who's had the top of his head ripped off. Oy. Like he's just he's just playing this fun little game, throwing stones into the guy's open head. And you know those details, that probably happened. Like, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. A re- that's 100% something that must have happened. And it's a conflation of three books, that series, isn't it? Yeah, well, so one is by uh, Sledge. Eugene Sledge. Uh, another one is by... Uh, what was his name? Robert. Yeah, Eugene Sledge. And then... But it's uh, it's interesting the way it... Like, I don't know, because it's not about a company. It's about these three different characters. And the, I remember... Uh, no, uh, I haven't watched Robert it Lenty. since it came out. But I'll, like, w- oh, I just re- I just finished rewatching Band of Brothers. So this is up, up very soon yeah. uh, for me. But I do recall an episode where he, he, this one character... After like you know he gets a medal of honor, he goes back injured, gets married, and then dies on the beach. That's that's the third lead, John John Seda, who plays uh, Barcelona. John Barcelona. Yeah, I, yeah. I, right. I didn't. I mean, I didn't know anything about what happened to his character. I mean, I didn't know that was a real person, and that you know yeah, he yeah. went yeah went back, got married, uh, shipped out with the troops. Basically, again, married died, a hot soldier, Iwo Jima. It's fucking but sick. But part of my reason for watching this was basically because I. You know, it's something I'd, again, mm. I'd put off for years and years and never got around to finishing it. But the other reason is just because I'm looking forward to Masters of the Air. That's right. The, the Playtone series about the 8th Air Force, which is going to be on, on Apple TV and not HBO this time around. Uh, it should be out sometime this year or next year, featuring enemy of the show Barry Keown. Yeah, that makes sense for him. Yeah, he's about at that age. He's ready to be the next Fastbender. Yeah. Well, that's fucking awesome. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Without, I mean, I won't have to say too much because you've already said it yourself, but God damn, yeah, Band of Brothers. Holy motherfucking Jesus. That is just such an incredible show. And it, even the episodes I remember as being slightly dull, I was just in awe of the screen watching them. All the actors, like, but the, the best episode is definitely the one where Spears jumps over the wall. You know what I'm talking about? But like, it, oh, just together. I, I ended up ordering the book. I'm going to read the book because I'm just... I'm just <laughs> Was just so blown away by it, but I mean, we've probably lamped on about that. But w- enough. One thing I would like to drop in here, though, is I finally got. Ru- well, no, I have my order of running things. I watched the Expanse season three. I don't know. Do you remember <laughs> what happens in the? No, you're you're gonna have to. T- yeah, I'm so far ahead of you in the Expanse. I, you'd have to tell me what happens here. Right. So, okay. So yeah, I'll clue you in the the season three. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, spoilers, like... spoilers for the expanse. Let me just say, let me. No, you know, you tell me. Otherwise, I'll spoil you. Go ahead. Sir. Yes. Okay, guys. Spoilers for the expanse. If you have not seen the expanse, I don't know. Maybe, hopefully, we'll put a, a timestamp in here or something if we can. But I'm about to spoil the third season of the expanse. The third season is the one. The first half of it is taken up by a uh, war between Earth and Mars that is yeah. eventually nullified, and then in the second half, the proto molecule creates a kind of a gate. And then yeah. the finale is all these thousands of gates to different planets. Yeah. Okay. So three seasons worth of pay, three seasons worth of setup is paid off, and it's incredible. 
So Holden sees like an image of yeah Thomas, uh, Thomas Jane's Jane. character. Yeah, yeah. yeah what, what's Thomas Jane called? Thomas Jane. Thomas <laughs> Jane. He got, has he got a character name? Thomas Jane. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I I remember that. I mean, it's a pity the show is done. Really, because just watching this, I find like, and you used to always say this too, because I really enjoyed season one, really enjoyed season two, and you uh, you just said it totally it's, changes. But like, that's the thing is like, that's how I want a a sci-fi show to be, quite frankly. And I have nothing but respect for the likes of Star Trek and uh, and stuff. But that much of a realistic build up to this bizarre, like, there's four or five episodes where they're just on the other side of this gate, trying to get out, arguing over what to do next. And then eventually they have to power down all their ships to convince this entity that they're not nuclear bombs, (laughs) at which he opens up these gates and it's like, oh my God, they get to see the edge of the universe. At the same time, we're wondering what the thing was that exterminated that race. And it's just like three seasons worth of payoff. And it wasn't something like, and again, nothing but love for Star Trek, but in Star Trek, they just discover a booster engine. It's no shit like this here. There's literally like an entity comes and like that's a, like you find out the the proto molecule is just completely indifferent to them basically like you know oh my god it was something else the have you have you read any of the books no but i want to now really that season in particular geared me just got me thinking yeah that that sounds like something i would eat up quite honestly very so interesting and like the like season a- 4 is like season i would say <clears throat> season 4 is so much better I think season four is maybe the best season of the show. I'm um, like, I mean, I'll wait for a little bit, but not nearly as long, I have to say, because I was really into it. Also, there's that part where they fire off a nuke and the entity slows all the ships down and you get to watch the <laughs> yeah. scientific reaction of that. Like, it kills so many fucking people. It's crazy. And then the belters with David Strathern leading them oh, yeah. open up their ship to take on board the wounding after they get their gravity going with the wheel. It's fucking fantastic stuff. Like, I, I don't know. I was so into it. The only bum note in the series a little bit was that um, the sister of the dead girl from the first series was the antagonist. I was like, that's stupid. I didn't I didn't jive with that at all. Yeah, that's fine. You, you, uh, some of that gets paid off later on. So ah, fair enough. I wouldn't I would worry about it. They, they do come back to stuff like that. Uh, and I also rewatched the two seasons of Dairy Girls leading up to season three. And I enjoyed them well enough. Anyway, go on. What do you got? So I watched uh, something that uh, has been in the news, I guess. I, I've seen uh, a, a couple, I read a couple of articles about it as well, but mm. I watched the new Netflix documentary about Jimmy Savile. Oh, okay. It's called Jimmy Savile, A British Horror Story. Should I? Uh, well, so it's a two-part documentary, and from what I've seen, Netflix is quite prone to doing to doing this, where they'll take uh, something that can be done in an hour or Yes, you know, famously. One and a half yeah. hours to stretch it out over two or three episodes. So these are like two episodes of about an hour and a half each. And I would definitely recommend watching the first episode, but I would say uh, the second episode is pro- probably not necessary. So I'm just going to assume everyone knows who Jimmy Savile is, but if if not, <laughs> he's he was a... Uh, <laughs> You're in uh, for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he basically was, uh, like Mr. Rogers, uh, isn't he? It's a very that's right. He's yeah, a, yeah, it's a heartwarming documentary. Character, I assume DJ entertainer, one of the greatest TV entertainers of all time. But why this uh, documentary really works is because the first episode has all this archival footage of um, basically like how he got his start, and you know, working yeah. as a DJ, he was friends with the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, 
And then you see how once he gained popularity, he had the ear of Margaret Thatcher, and she was really pushing for him to be knighted. And, you know, in this first episode, they also talk about how he was an unofficial advisor to Prince Charles. What? And it's, yeah, it's insane. At certain points, he's basically like... This is line of duty uh, stuff. Writing, writing speeches for the royal family. So, and some of this archival material from the first episode is stuff I'd never, ever seen before. I mean, I rem- I'm aware of, like, I remember Jimmy Savile from when I was a kid. You know, I used to watch his show. Jim, Jim will fix, will fix it. it yeah. Classic. I always wanted Jim will, Jim to fix it for me. And now, you know, in retrospect, I'm quite glad they didn't. Um, <laughs> Jesus. So all of that is, you know, all of that is excellent. I mean, obviously yeah, yeah. scary to watch, but it's, it, it's, it's very, very interesting. The second episode is a lot more traditional. It's just focusing on the crimes. Uh, it's, it's quite a, a tough story to, to tell, not just because of the nature of the crimes, mm. but also because there was no reckoning. Because obviously yeah. he died before he was brought to justice. These, so I would recommend watching the first episode. Second episode, you can take or leave because it's it's. I feel like it's been it's been covered. That part has been covered. I'll probably quite, give it a, a watch. It sounds interesting. Uh, to be honest, the only thing is that like I'm a tough one with documentaries like this because I don't like I don't like salacious things. You know what I mean? Like the likes of Tiger King or making a murderer or whatever like that. I just found like, and I know this is a different thing. I do. I w- but what I'm saying is I would like this documentary to, you know, be, I don't know, be good enough to handle the, like, this is a crazy thing that happened. This is huge. This is, this is not salacious. This is massive. This is, you know, a figurehead at the, the representative basically of institutional abuse. It's crazy. That story. Um, the, like I, do you know one thing that one text that I thought that did actual justice to the story was just in I think it's in the third season of Line of Duty where you see a picture of like one of the cops shaking hands with Jimmy Savile and you're uh, it, <laughs> I, I don't know like but I I like I think Louis Theroux's two documentaries about them were good but I do just think he's got a deft enough touch with stuff like this as well he'll make it interesting and not didactic but that first episode does sound very interesting that's the part of the story that I have not heard and I will check that out for sure yeah I think it's worthwhile uh it could be a little bit salacious I haven't watched Tiger King just because I watched about the first 10 minutes of it and it seemed overblown and over the top this is a little bit more restrained just because of the seriousness of the subject matter probably but as, as I say first episode is worth watching what else is that? You know, you've still got more, right? Yeah, yeah. I got I got, one more. Are you out? Yeah, are you done? Right no, I got one more. Okay, I'll I'll hit you. you up. I'll hit you up with a couple. All right, I'll start off with a, a flat one. Last last night I watched a flat enough um, Spanish horror film that's new called uh, The Grandmother that made me realize a lot about what make horror films work. It's the sort of thing I could see all the beats, but I realized they were doing it wrong because they weren't having fun with it. You need to have a little fun with a horror movie. It's not good. I don't recommend this one to people, quite honestly. They're taking it on as a bit of a feminist text. This basically lady is a model in Paris, gets called back to Madrid to look after her grandmother who's just lost her marbles a little bit. And then something's going on weird with the grandmother, etc. It could have been an awful lot of fun. It's a fun, interesting premise. But I find this to be the case with a lot of Spanish films. They either have to be completely buffoonish or completely po-faced they like only so like for some reason Almodovar someone who I'm not that big of a fan of is able or someone like Carlos Vermouth are able to kind of handle the middle ground well enough but this is completely po-faced completely serious it could be an awful lot more fun I didn't enjoy it but that said 
a week or so ago, I saw a horror film that I had not seen since I was 12, a lot because it basically ruined six months of my life. I'm talking about The Sixth Sense. Yeah. Right. Now, a lot of people, I don't know, for some reason, did not think that was as scary as I did. And I have, for many years, just put off watching it. Yeah, at the start, it was just basically because I was scared to watch it again. It scared me so much. And when I watched it there a couple of weeks ago, it, right, it scared the bejesus out of me again. But the thing is, I'm able to, I mean, I enjoy that more nowadays, being scared. But I did finally realize, like, why that film is so fucking good. And it is so fucking good still. I mean, wow. First of all, it's got a premise of a horror film that anybody could be an antagonist at any moment. You're never safe in that movie. Never. Not a minute. The, from the opening scene, do you remember what the opening scene is? No. Car accident or something? No. no. Um, Bruce Willis and his wife get home from a thing where he's won this award. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's where he gets... Uh, yeah, he gets spoilers for the sixth sense. Yeah, yeah. Bruce Willis shot. is dead. Yeah, he gets shot by old uh, Wahlberg, Donnie Wahlberg, from Band of Brothers in his pants. Yeah, yeah. He's just... Is that Danny, Donnie Wahlberg? Yeah. It yeah. is. Jesus Christ. What a transformation. But, um... Oh, like, it's a terrifying scene. And then after that, it's just like every single person could be some sort of demonic presence. And then it's made all the more scary because it's a kid. It's happening to a fucking kid. It's a, and then at the end, it manages to give you a sort of a Steven Spielberg-like uh, payoff. It's a fucking tremendous film. I have to say, it completely lived up to my expectations in terms of scariness. And also, I just let, finished it off thinking, wow, I mean... That guy had some kind of a hot streak at the start of his career, really. Like, from that to Unbreakable to Signs to the Village. Just knocking him out of the park, you know? He also, he had a film before Sixth Sense, right? Yeah, some romantic comedy. I've never seen it. Yeah, which I've never seen that either. But that feels like the big jump where he decided to go all in and make a horror film with a twist ending. God damn, it was good. Anyway, what's your other thing? What do you got? So uh, I was looking for something easy to watch uh, the other night, and I decided upon the 2016 Ray Kroc biopic, The Founder. Oh, right. Yeah, I've seen that. The story of the man who franchised McDonald's. What did you think? Well, I I mean, so it's written by Robert Siegel, who wrote The Wrestler and created uh, Pam and Tommy that you talked about a few weeks ago. Mm. And by all accounts, he was going for something more akin to the social network or there will be blood. No, he didn't get near that. Well, I, I mean, I don't think that's a scripting issue. I just think, however, you know, the script was like, was on the blacklist for a while. And there were many suitors, but directorial duties finally fell to John Lee Hancock of The Blind Side yeah. and Saving Mr. Banks. And, you know, he's a Texan man, but his films are some of the most inoffensive slices of Americana, I guess, yeah. that you can imagine. Sure. And, and that's what this felt like. It was just, it, it takes a dark story of capitalism run amok and somehow turns it into like hamburger jingoism it's it's far breezier than it has any right to be yeah i agree i found uh, that that film was really interesting in the first half an hour and yeah yeah it's it it is really interesting i find it interesting throughout i would say i think it would have been much better in the hands of like a fincher or someone of that ilk here's a sentence that i always will say uh michael keaton is great in it He's just great, isn't he? Absolutely. Keen's, Keen's amazing. Jesus, he's just great in everything. I love him, man. Yeah, he's very, very good. I also enjoyed Nick Offerman and John Carroll Lynch as the uh, 
Oh, it's the McDonald's. But yeah, a fine, a fine film, but just played it way too safe and with far too much respect for the McDonald's Corporation. Right, I got a, I got a three more big boys to finish off. Three movies. All right, fire away. Yeah, yeah, but I'll, I'll get through uh, first. Well, I mean, I watched a. Rewatched rather, I rewatched Vertigo, which was up for a toss big ages ago. I hadn't seen that yeah. um, in quite some time, and yeah, man, that movie's sick. I had I it's, it's great. I had no good, memory right? of quite how twisted it is. It's so dark. It's one of the darkest uh, endings I can think of. And like, I I guess it must have been a quite a personal film for Hitchcock because it's basically about this guy who becomes overly obsessed with blonde ladies <laughs> to the point of like dressing them up and having them act out his fantasies it's crazy that was fine in the 50s you could get away with that and then like the point where he realizes that he's been had and he's just goes all dark james stewart is fucking oh it's delightful <laughs> have to say yeah i had great fun with that now i hadn't seen it in a long time Wait, I haven't seen it in such a long time. Like, does he, as the audience, do we know that he knows? Like, do we yeah, know? We that know the moment he knows, he knows that he's right. We know it when we. And then he takes her up to the bell tower. Yeah, but also there's a change in his mannerisms at some point along the way. Mm. I think it's before that. I can't remember when exactly. He, she. I want to watch that again. Now. Do man, it's class. Oh, so much fun. Jimmy Stewart is very funny being horny for ladies. <laughs> oh, yes, uh, try that on. We'll, we'll take that. When he's buying her dresses and stuff. Oh, that's very yeah. funny. So I also finally, finally, finally got around to watching Kingdom of Heaven, Director's Cut. Oh, man. That was another one, I think, that was up for a toss. It was, yeah. I just said, fuck it. And uh, oh, yeah, goddamn. I mean, it's really great. It's not as good as Gladiator <laughs> or The Last Duel, but it's like just it just looks so fucking good. And like this was your first time watching this car, right? Yeah, yeah. Was there anything that jumped out to you where you you were like, "Wow, I've never seen this before"? Yes, there's a much uh, lengthier introduction to the uh, character mm. in France, and uh, Liam Neeson gets an awful lot more scenes at the start. There's also a whole subplot with um, Eva Green's son, who she ends up. Um, uh, spoilers she ends up having to kind of like mercy kill because he has leprosy as well which mm. i don't I think was included in the original but like mainly i have to say you're just like you're there for them those battle scenes are just out so well shot and just i don't know man you said about the last duel and you know you'd i'd be inclined to agree with you but for the fact that it's ridley scott that uh, they don't make movies like this anymore but this is this is in that elk. This is just so huge and just gritty and ah, oh, I absolutely loved it. No, I had great fun with that. And it's it's three hours plus change, and it was a breeze to me, to be honest. Can't believe you gobbled that up. That's <laughs> were you jealous? I'm gonna have to catch up. Yeah, I'm gonna have to catch up on these things at some point. Do yeah, fucking man, uh, Brendan Gleeson gives such good villain in that movie as well. He is delightful as just this French hedonist who loves killing Muslims. Like, it's just... I have no recollection of that. There you are now. But yeah, and the one other... I'll decide to finish on this because it's somewhat topical. Um, I saw the uh, winner of the Best Actor Oscar. I saw his film. Ooh, I saw King, King Richard. Richard. I mean, I can't remember what all the... No- it might be worth getting up the nominees. I'll do that right now. Just I can't remember what the nominees were. We'd seen a few of them, I remember. Uh, Cumberbatch. 
see if I can remember any others before yeah. you bring it up. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so I've seen th- I've seen three of them. I've seen um, The Power of the Dog. Yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch got one. Javier Bardem in Being the Ricardos. I've seen that. And I've seen King Richard, obviously. What were the other two? Denzel Washington for The Tragedy of Macbeth and Andrew Garfield oh, yeah. for Tick, Tick, Boom. What? I'll just come out and say it. I do not like Will Smith in this movie. He's just... He's, he reminded me of Jamie Foxx in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> just overdoing it to absolute fuck. There's one very key problem with it, which is that Will Smith in real life is both too famous and too charismatic. I don't know how much that'll last now. He's probably going to be staging a comeback in about six years or something. He's a different kind of outcast to Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson was just anti-Semitic, but this guy's crazy. They're like, whoa. You're actually a crazy person. <laughs> uh, that'll get see you outcast. I don't care who you are, you know? But anyway, yeah, it, it, I, I think he is probably just too famous. But So it just feels like him, like Ben Stiller's character in, in Tropic Thunder doing Simple Jack. I, it is, yeah, Simple Jack. Simple Jack. I don't know. I just, like, I don't know how, I said, the only answer to it is this. Sorry, but I've watched enough movies to know. This isn't good acting. It's not. I don't care who you are. It is not good acting. So the only thing is, for me to say, is it's like all the voters going, yeah, we should give Will Smith an Oscar. That's what it seems like to me. Almost like with Leonardo DiCaprio and The Revenant. Like, And I like The Revenant, but Leonardo DiCaprio has been better in other things, and it was just, that was his year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, so getting back to King Richard, it's an interesting story, for sure. But it kind of loses its way in sports cliches towards the end, which is no surprise that that ended up happening, I suppose. And making the film about him is certainly an interesting move. But get this, it's like, it's two and a half hours long. Now, what should have been, like I said, it drifts into sports cliches towards the end. John Bernthal is excellent in it. Who's He's their eventual coach. He's excellent in it. But I don't know, for what was going to be a character study about him, I've feel it could it would have been a much better sort of a 90 and out kind of movie really and i know you could say that about everything really but uh i don't know i'm rambling a little bit about it but i just didn't really get the buzz quite frankly it was a a bit of a mystery one to me much more so than the film we're going to discuss uh right now for best picture the uh king richard didn't like I didn't feel like, like, I didn't really want to see a film about the Williams twins. Don't get me wrong. He's the interesting character in the bunch, but it's just uh, a little bit bloated. Will Smith over overcooks it a little bit. I don't know. Not for me. Yeah, I I'm, haven't, again, haven't seen it. I don't know that I will, but already the vibe I'm getting, it, uh, of getting from it is like Pursuit of Happiness or something. I prefer The what Pursuit the of Happiness. Where- What's the one where he dies? Spoilers for a film that I can't remember the name of, oh. where he gets he dies in the bathtub. It's, he gets stung by a jellyfish. So <laughs> what um, the hell is that? Seven pounds. Seven pounds. Yeah. I was working in a cinema when that came out. People went nuts for that movie. People were bawling in that movie. I just thought that was one of the dumbest conceptions of a film I'd ever thought of, heard thought of. I'd yeah, ever I heard did. of. So uh, I'm fascinated to know. Did you enjoy Coda? I thought that uh, I'll be honest. Like my expectations were extremely low Mine too. for this film because I knew almost nothing about it. And as I think we mentioned before, the reaction of when we saw it being nominated for an Oscar, we both said, "Like, what the hell is Coda? What is that?" Yeah. But uh, I was I was moved. I was moved by this film. Oh, I'm I glad. Me surprised. too. Surprised. I I've, I find it. Yeah. I, I mean. 
okay, it, it's it's a fun crowd pleaser. Again, it's desperately inoffensive. I would say. Yeah, I, I mean, would agree. I, uh, maybe the maybe the uh, deaf parents being overly sexualized is it could be offensive to someone, but it's crazy when you think about it. I saw I saw someone had suggested it's like a hallmark movie plot, but executed skillfully. Oh no! You know what this is? You haven't noticed what? This is Billy Elliot without a deafness. <laughs> like is that why? That is? was one kind of under. Like I think this is kind of following in the mold of like. You know, like Joker and Ad Astra, you know, you can just like lift entire plot structures from other <laughs> movies and just use them yourself. This is Billy Elliot, like. I want to go to Berkeley in Boston, but I'm working class and deaf. I thought of a good uh, idea for a sequel to Billy Elliot when the older brother also wants to become a dancer. Just because he's, the mind's shut down. So he tries to be a dancer. <laughs> but I have to say... This had a lot of stuff that I like generally. As you well know, I love a teen movie. I do. And now it didn't pay off the teen movie stuff. But when, you know, when that bully girl passes her in the car and goes, oh, smells like fish. I'm like, yeah, I'm in. Love it. Teen bully. <laughs> uh, she's going to get with the boy that the bully she's fancies. Come back. But they didn't really lean into the bully stuff. I would have been very happy with that. A lot of people would have said a cliche. I would have been like, yes, give me a bully. Um, well, I thought it was speaking. Go on. Yeah, sorry. No, I was going to give you some of the cliches. I was just going to... I've got a nice list of cliches oh, yeah, here from cliches someone's Reddit some, Someone's Reddit comment. Let me just give you some of the cliches before you give your opinion. But Go for it. Comically oversexed best friend. Brother with business idea who gets pushed aside. Comically oversexed parents. White kids seeing songs by black artists. Beautiful bullied girl with cool alternative tastes. Diva choir teacher who with with love of scarves. Oh hell yeah! Choir kids, choir kids sing comically inappropriate song, even though that would never have flown, and that teacher would have been snitched on and fired so fast. <laughs> Girl with secretly good voice gets picked for solo duet. Poor family with surprisingly nice shabby chic house. Ah. <laughs> uh, it's highly unusual, but I'll allow it. Where judges allow the bending of rules for the protagonist. And stopping the car for one last hug. Yeah, but I'm all there for them. I know, I know. It's hard to argue against those, but I still really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Oh, man, I'm glad to hear that because it's like... And actually, then after I finished watching it and I had a look at the nominees for uh, Best Picture, and while there's clearly some better films in there, they Mm. aren't the type of films that were ever going to win. Of the type of films that were ever going to win of the ones I've seen, I probably prefer this. From the Best Picture nominees, I guess I like something like June. Yeah, June but, is a better film. But I want to see, as I've said before, I want to see how that is finished off. Mm. Like I want to see it as part of, you know, maybe give give the award to the final film. I do have an inkling that that will happen with Dune, by the way. Yeah. I just have that feeling. I think it's just you need to see the the full story to really... But I, I, I've seen some argument recently of someone saying, like, I think it was, I was, again, I was reading some Reddit comment thread of people talking about Crash. Yeah. The Paul, Paul Haggis, Haggis Oscar winning film. And just saying, like, if that hadn't won the Oscar, then it would just be this kind of forgettable early to mid 2000s you know, slightly <laughs> like ra- racism, like heavy handed tale of racism. But it's ab- it got absolutely slammed just because it's you know it's an oscar winner for that year yeah. so 
like history hasn't been hasn't hasn't been particularly kind to it, but it was more saying like it would be better to wait five or ten years before you give the Oscar out for that year. <laughs> so you can see what actually has the impact, what actually lasts. Yeah, and I'm looking at the films that were nominated here, and of anything that was going to win, I'd probably prefer it go to this. Of the films, like okay, if there was a, a sideways chance of Licorice Pizza winning, I'd prob- I would definitely give it to Licorice Pizza over Coda, but for some reason they're just determined not to give Paul Thomas Anderson ever, anything ever again, and I respect that. They're they've got their uh, their guns and they're sticking to them. So fair play, but yeah, I, I I thought I don't know, man. It's like like I thought it was genuinely funny. A fair few times I laughed at it. I, like and not all like some of the most obvious jokes in it I didn't laugh at, but I loved a lot of the deaf humor. Really, really thought that was uh, very well done and quite funny. I think it like. It, the only part that bothered me in terms of being totally contrived, even though a lot of it was totally contrived, we talked about the cliches, is the um, the montage where they start a business, which was just like, what? It's that easy? It's that easy to just start a fucking business? Like, they just even had the little clip of the mother getting the keys to the warehouse, etc. And I also thought um, the, the Coast Guard... Uh, invading the boat, even though I know that was researched and that's how they would actually do it, I just thought the fact that on that exact day when the lady bunked off, they got raided, etc. I thought it was a little bit contrived, but I mean, whatever. Like I said, I mean, it's like it is. It's Billy Elliot plus deafness. Let's say minus the grit. Billy Elliot has a lot of real grit. The part where they smash up the piano, and of course, where the father crosses the picket lines, which is something that I will still go to uh, occasionally. Just that clip on YouTube. If I'm feeling emotionally dead inside, just to immediately open the floodgates. I have to say as well. Speaking of opening the floodgates, I like cried two or three times during this, big time. Yeah, there was some definitely, there was some quite moving uh, moments throughout. I mean, I remember like about 20 minutes into the film, I basically said out loud, you know, nothing bad better happen to these characters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, I was very clear. I was like, I, I need a win. I need a win for these guys. Yeah, yeah. I'm not interested in, yeah, I'm not interested in anything bad. As a matter of fact, I would like them to tag on a part at the end where the brother's girlfriend learns to be a fisher lady so that they have someone who can speak and hear on the boat. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that uh, high school girl that he was grooming, it's fine. Yeah. That's totally fine. I didn't realize while watching it that this was a remake of a French-Belgian film that's called right, La yeah. Famille Bellier. That's why it, was, is, it got uh, the adapted nomination. And apparently the producer, Philippe Rousselet, sought out Shan Hader. And uh, she rewrote the story around Gloucester, Massachusetts. And she got advice from uh, Kenneth Lonergan because Gloucester's uh, one town up from uh, Manchester by the Sea. Oh, okay. Where he filmed Manchester by the Sea. Oh, I thought it was the Terminator. No, it's not that. Oh, right. Well, you you mentioned something about the deaf community earlier of like um, humor around that. There were, and, or, or about some aspects of mm. it not being perhaps that believable there was some pushback from uh the way that the film showed deaf adults in 2021 as being slightly hopeless um because the government the state has to provide interpreters for official events like court hearings doctor's appointments stuff like that Mm. so they shouldn't ever have been relying on their daughter ah yeah but i suppose that that because the thing is is what right first of all i suppose um the deafness serves 
two key functions in the story. Number one, quite honestly, it's just really interesting to see Sign acting, I thought. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I thought like all like all the jokes they did, the way they, you know, the way of emoting sort of changed as they were doing things like that. Or or if somebody was being passionate or something like that. I just thought that was really interesting and effective and you just rarely get to see it and you got to see, oh, that really, really does work. You can express it's you know, you've you've got your emotions in your movement. It was really cool, I thought. And um the other one of course is just that I mean, it works really well as a structure to indirectly address like a member of your family leaving and moving on. What do you mean? Well, I mean, they like really need her and she's like really, really a part of them. But eventually like a moment, I'm going to cry now, (laughs) but eventually a moment comes where you got to move on. And it's like, man, I mean, yeah, it's, I got to admit like anything with the father and her, I'm fucking... Oof, I couldn't even see the screen. That was not... Oh, yeah, so you... Yeah, I, I, I can make you cry if we talk about this part 100%. How did you feel about the father touching her vocal oh. cards to, <laughs> to listen to her sing? <laughs> oh, my God. And, it, like, just the fact that they're, like, looking around in the in the auditorium and they get to see everybody else be really moved by what she can do and they're not able to properly appreciate it it was destroying me like and my wife laughing at at me because she's dead inside but like yeah 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 i respect your wife for that always but no i think that's nice i think it's nice that that affected you so much i mean i find it i find like i said i find this film moving throughout yeah and and i'm totally on board with your. i don't have any kids i know about uh, I'm totally on board with your opening comment, despite the fact that I didn't say it out loud to myself. With films like this, when I'm watching them, I'll only I'll only say that out loud if I see a sort of a cliche around the corner that might happen. I'm just and I just go, "Do not give me anything but a happy ending, or I will break something." Uh, like, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm very happy that that's what happened here. Like no one drowned. Yeah. Nothing, anything bad that happened was all fixable. To be honest, man. Their issues were not too bad, really. I mean, the film is lucky it survived, considering that she talked to Kenneth Lonergan. If I heard that that was happening, I'd be like, no, do not talk to Kenneth Lonergan. He'll do something awful. It was nice to, uh, so the uh, kid actors, I mean, kid actors, they're teenagers, let's say, they're all extremely likable. The parents are likable. Uh, it's just, it's nice to see a functional family mm. on screen. They have issues, but they all clearly love each other. And uh, I think it's pointed out throughout, like some of Ruby's friends say to her, like they're jealous, you know, like the uh, yeah. young boy that she's seeing, they're they're jealous of, of her family. They're like, yeah, you have got like a loving, functional family, mm. but they can't hear good. So loads of warm and fuzzies. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. And also it's like, the thing is as well is, it it like for the year that's kind of in it and for where society um is it's in an odd way a totally appropriate choice for best picture i would say because on one side on the cynical side of it oh it's about a deaf family it's about like the disenfranchised etc yeah but on like uh let's call it a what's the opposite of cynicism optimism i don't know yeah. On a more optimistic note, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know, it's exactly the sort of film you'd want a lot of people to watch, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's worthwhile. I mean, it's great that Troy Kotzer won the uh, Best Supporting Actor. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's genuinely a good thing. He's great in the film. He's obviously had the, the um, chances that he's had um, in terms of Hollywood are extremely limited. So mm. this was like one of his big shots and he, he took it. He's a good looking dude, isn't he? Who, Troy Godson? Yeah. I, ju- like, I just think he's like, ah, oh, yeah, he's a movie star, that fucker. Really? He reminds me of uh, Jim Varney. Remember him? No. Who's Jim Varney? That's that's an old school reference. He's he's uh, long dead now. But do you, do you ever watch any of the Ernest movies? Like Ernest yes. goes to yeah. Okay, yeah, him. yeah. Fair enough. He's, he's like Ernest. Is Jim Verney dead? Yeah, he's been dead a long time. I've watched he was all a, he, the uh, Ernest uh, movies. I think unless there's oh, way nice. more than I think. How many Ernest movies? Are I don't there? know. I, I have no idea. I don't know. But I remember him from The Simpsons. He plays a Carney, Jim Verney, the Carney. Jim Verney, the Carney. But that's what that's the energy I got from uh, from Frank. Ruby's father. I'm gonna. Shall I talk about the cast? Do you want to hear about these? Let's in a minute. People? I'm just gonna answer my own question. Many, All right. Uh, top Ernest of your head. How many are? Ernest movies are there? Four. More than that. Jesus Christ. Were they all released in cinemas? No. It's four direct videos. Yeah. Ten total. All right. Yeah. Fucking hell. Ten total. Good for him. I think I've only. He died of lung cancer. I seem to remember. It was so quite a while back. I've only seen Ernest goes to camp and Ernest goes to jail. And I, Ernest goes to jail, I remember. And I recall a very good um, Family Guy joke where uh, Peter is trying to choose between two videos and it's like Ernest goes, <laughs> to, the, Ernest goes to the video <laughs> store or Ernest doesn't go to the video store. <laughs> Classic, back when Family Guy meant something. Hell yeah. All right, dude, talk cast. So uh, first up is Emilia Jones as uh, Ruby Rossi. English actress Amelia Jones is the daughter of Welsh singer Ali Jones of the of the Snowman fame. I'm walking in the air. air. Wow. That one. So and his that, balls that that event- eventually mind. dropped and functioned. I guess if that's how that works, then yes. They're full of false spunk. <laughs> I couldn't believe that. That blew my <laughs> mind. Christ. What? That's fine. Just, uh, full of all spunk. It's lovely. Yeah. They made a made a baby. She was also in um, Utopia, wasn't she? She was. She played Alice Ward. So spoilers for uh, for the next episode that we do. But I've watched the first five. I've watched the first five episodes of series one of that. I'm just about finished. I'm just finishing series one of the original UK Utopia. Okay, spoilers. It's pretty remake. great, isn't it? I really, yeah, I, I'm really enjoying it. I don't have much more to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, we'll point, say more. When it's the, exactly, when the time comes. it's it's exactly my it's exactly my cup of tea. So yeah, so yeah, she was in that, and it, again, she was a very uh, young girl, but she's in her early twenties now. Uh, she's also in Pascal Logier's Ghostland. You remember we talked about that? Uh, remind me. So Pascal Logier, who made Martyrs, he made a film called Ghostland. I think back in 2016. We were talking about it because... Oh, the, yeah, the uh, lady got injured on Taylor, it. Yeah, Taylor Hickson fell through uh, a glass door. Yes, yes, I do recall. sued the production. So uh, Amelia Jones was acting opposite Taylor Hickson at that point. Okay. Just thought it was a nice little... Just tying that back, back to previous episodes. I wonder, did she draw on that for her performance in CODA? I believe she did. There's no evidence for that, but I believe it. She was also in Brimstone, the controversial Western from Dutch filmmaker Martin Kuhlhoven. I haven't heard of that. Alongside uh, Guy Pearce and Dakota Fanning. Uh, it's labeled in some places as exploitative due to its sexual and violent con- content. Uh, Empire Magazine gave it four stars. I haven't and, heard of it. Uh, enemy, enemy of the show Peter Bradshaw sang its praises. 
It's from um, about 2018, I want to say. It's on Amazon. I've been meaning to check it out. It's called Brimstone. I'm going to add that to the list uh, right this second. I think it's about two and a half hours long. Hell yeah. Long long drawn out westerns is my bag, baby. Mm -hmm. Okay, next up is Troy Kotzer as Frank Rossi, Ruby's father. Uh, As we mentioned before, he won the Best Supporting Actor Award at the Oscars. He also directed No Ordinary Hero, the Super Deffy movie. Hmm. Are you familiar with that? I am not, are you? No, but here's the synopsis. A deaf actor who plays a superhero on a TV show must look beyond the cape to inspire a deaf boy to believe in himself. Uh, it actually looks pretty decent. And with a running time of one hour and 19 minutes, it may well be the best film ever made. <laughs> I'll second that. Sounds pretty good. But yeah, well done, old Tricod, sir, slash Jim Varney. Next up is uh, Marley Matlin as Jackie Rossi, Ruby's mother. A legend. Marley Matlin. Indeed, yeah. Straight out of the West Wing. Among other stuff, she lost all her hearing in her right ear and 80% of the hearing in her left ear at the age of 18 months due to illness and fevers. Oh, wow. She's the only member of her family who is deaf. In her autobiography, Matlin described two instances in which she was molested by a babysitter at age 11 and by a teacher in high school. Wow. She was discovered by Henry Winkler. Okay. During during one is not connected to the molestation. Oh, thank goodness! Just, it's fine. It's Don't like, worry. It, it, it's no, discovered, discovered by Henry, Henry Winkler in, while walking home in a closet. Yeah, no, she was discovered by Henry Winkler during one of her ICODA International, as the International Center on Deafness and the Arts theater performances, which ultimately led her to her film debut in Children of a Lesser God in 1986, which you won, for an which Oscar, she won right? the Oscar. Yeah. yeah, for Best Actress at age 21 the youngest Best Actress winner of all time. Wow. Even now, even today, a year younger than Jennifer Lawrence, who won for Silver Linings Playbook. Who's she in that with again? I've heard of it. Friend of the show, William Hurt. Oh, yeah, recent friend of the show, actually. That's right, yeah, 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 yeah he's yeah. co-leading that. But uh, apparently a big arsehole as well. Yeah, yeah, he won, Which, uh, he won, he won come to for that too, I think. I think so, yeah. Mm. I think he might want Best Actor for that. Uh, on April 14, 2009, Matlin's autobiography, I'll Scream Later was published in it she describes her drug abuse and how it drove her to check herself into the betty ford center she also tells about her rocky two-year relationship with her significantly older children of a lesser god co-star and friend of the show william hurt who she claims was physically abusive to her ah william hurt yeah that's the the clue was in his name obviously but uh as you mentioned she was in the west wing that's probably what i think of her from yes and coda now Next up is Daniel Durant as uh, Leo Rossi, Ruby's brother. Durant was born deaf in Detroit, Michigan to deaf parents uh, who struggled with addiction. He was adopted as a toddler by his paternal aunt. Uh, He grew up in Duluth, Minnesota, and he appeared in season two of You, The Stalker Show. That's all I've got for him. He seems like a nice guy. He does, yeah. He's good in the movie too. He's just, he's, he's another deaf actor who hasn't obviously... As you mentioned with Troy Kotzer, opportunities are limited. But Troy Kotzer, Marley Matlin, and Daniel Durant had all worked with each other before. That's not surprising, I would say. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> exactly. It's, uh, it's not the most surprising thing. So like, they were all extremely comfortable working with each other. Anyway, next up is uh, Eugenio Derbez as Bernardo, Mr. V. Villalobos. He has a dog named a Fiona. I remember that writer. from reading his profile the other day. He's a legend. He is a legend. He's a uh, big-time comic actor in Mexico. 
Uh, he did the voice dub for a lot of Eddie Murphy roles, like the donkey in Shrek and Dr. Doolittle. Sweet. He's been billed as the Mexican Jim Carrey or Adam Sandler. Oh, and so Sandler he, actually, he also kills Irish girls. He does. And Sandler actually cast him in Jack and Jill, for which he shared a golden raspberry with the rest of the cast. <laughs> I've never seen Jack and Jill, but I'm, I'm going to like it in principle just for my love for the Sandman. I've watched, I've, just after watching this and looking for some, I, I was just looking at some clips of him in it and uh, it's, he's playing like the most stereotypical Mexican character. Does it look fun? Yeah, it looks okay. I mean, Adam Sandler play. I don't. I, I, Adam Sandler plays Jack and Jill. I, have you seen Hell that? Yeah. Anything of that? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen the poster. And so, yeah, he's been trying. Eugenio Derbez has been trying to break out into dramatic roles, and off the back of Coda, I think he'll he'll do well. I mean, I, I liked him. He was, I thought he was. He's a kind of character that you think. Or at least me, I was going like, oh, I'm probably not going to like him. Yeah. But he totally won me over. Completely won me over. Yeah, no, I, I like, I mean, he's probably the biggest I mean, cliche in the entire film. Yeah, yeah, it's so cliched. It's a very broad character. Um, but, yeah, it's but I liked it's him. Fun. Yeah, no, I did. I enjoyed him in it. And um, oh, he has some, he has some depth to him. He does. And there, there's a, there's, yeah, there's little bits like where he's talking, uh, like telling her not to waste his time and stuff. And he's believable in that. You know what I mean? He seems yeah. like he's got like a little bit of a darkness to his past or something. Like he's refer, like if he's referring to something in that moment, he's like, listen, I got a life outside of this shit. Don't fuck with me, which I did like. And also, even apart from all the father daughter stuff that made me cry, uh, that song Both Sides Now always, uh, always gets me as well. Um, so mm. I appreciated his choice as an actor for that character for the, i'm basically saying uh, mr v's choice of song i appreciate it and i'm gonna give the credit to eugenio derbez next up in the cast is uh is is one of you guys ferdia walsh pilo as miles ruby's love interest one of an us irishman guys. from ashford he's an irish Andy guy wicklow yeah he's best known as the lead cosmo in sing street what I know I did not I did not recognize him at all either. He has quite a large forehead. Jeez, he's filled now. out, hasn't he? He has. He's he's a tall he's a tall young man. I love Sing Street. Yeah, it's fun. It is fun. So in this film you had an English girl and an Irish man both pretending to be Americans and singing at each other. There's one more cast member I wanted to mention, that's Kevin Chapman, who played Brady. Who's Brady again? Prob- yeah, you, you wouldn't know. He was like one of the guys who's hanging around the docks. He's like a f- kind of familiar face around the docks. Okay. But anyway, Kevin Chapman, I think I mentioned him before. Chappie, uh, a Boston comic. I remember hearing uh, Bill Burr telling stories about him laying waste to the old Boston rooms like Nick's or The Comedy Connection. Oh, he's a, he's a comedian. But- yeah, yeah, he was. I can't find a single video or photo of him doing stand-up, so I guess he quit in the 90s after he started getting film and TV roles. But back when back when stand-up stood out, so it's always nice to see him and stuff. I know him best as Fusco from uh, Jonathan Nolan's Person of Interest, which I'm sure I've, I think I've mentioned, mentioned before. A surprising, Surprisingly good show despite being network TV. And starring mentally ill man Jim Caviezel. <laughs> which again i want to plug the podcast app the the podcast episode that that talks about him it's called enter the cavortex look for the the uh, episode of enter the cavortex podcast about jim caviezel and you said it's very funny i remember 
It's hilarious. It's very, very. I, I would. I want to listen. I'm going to cue again, that up now because uh, I remember. Th- I remember. Yeah, wanting. Um, I remember you mentioning that before and thinking that sounds good. Into the cavortex. So it's enter the cavortex. They talk a lot about Passion of the Christ and Mel Gibson, and there's a lot of funny stuff. Sweet. Okay, so shall we go through the plot quickly? Let's. In Gloucester, Massachusetts, Ruby Rossi is the only hearing member of her family. Her parents, Frank and Jackie, and older brother Leo are all deaf. And there's a there's a blue Wikipedia hyperlink to explain what deaf means. Deafness <laughs> Could you click that, has varying definitions in cultural and medical contexts. In medical contexts, the meaning of deafness is hearing loss that precludes a person from understanding spoken language. She assists with the family fishing business and plans to join it full-time after high school. Because of her family, Ruby is an outcast at school. When she notices her crush, Miles, signing up for choir, Ruby impulsively does the same. On the first day of choir, the teacher, Bernardo Mr. V. Villalobos, instructs the students to sing Happy Birthday to You to place their vocal parts. Faced with having to sing in front of the class, Ruby panics and runs away. I love a nice runaway. Yeah, it's classic. She later returns to Mr. V and explains that she was bullied for talking differently as a child. Mr. V tells Ruby there's room for all kinds of voices in the choir and is surprised and impressed by her beautiful singing voice. Now, if you, you were think Vill- she was going to- <laughs> if you were Gilbert Gottfried doing an impression of a deaf person, what would it sound like, Andy? Wait, wait, wait. No one actually... Uh, that's what I was going to ask you, right? I just want to make sure I'm not misremembering this. She didn't do deaf voice. No, right? no, 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 no. No, okay, because that would have been insane. If because he was asking her to, she was basically saying like, "What did you used to speak like?" Yeah, and she, she was on the verge. A of wise doing directorial deaf decision. Voice. Yeah, especially considering she's like the hearing cast member. Yeah, that would have been an insane move. <laughs> <laughs> if I directed the film, yes, she may a while have done deaf voice, but. <laughs> That was that would have been bad. Well, I'm glad I'm not misremembering that. See, this is the problem. We, we I watched this uh, a while ago. Yeah, no, I only uh, managed it at the weekend. I'd like to say it was that. I, well, I was quite busy, but also, I mean, I just told you all the stuff I have been watching. I wasn't totally busy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's your disgrace. Mister V pairs Ruby with Miles for a duet at the upcoming choir recital. Their first rehearsal goes poorly as they each prepare separately. Mr. V insists that they must practice together so that they can fall in love. Nice. But he doesn't, that's what, that's just what happens. Ruby invites Miles to her house to practice, but they are interrupted by Frank and Jackie loudly having sex in the next room. What, how did you, how did that moment strike you? Uh, I thought the, I thought them being like a, you know, a really horny couple was funny, not in that moment. Um, I thought it was funny, like, when they protested at the doctor or, like, when, yeah. um, like, she's given out to them later on and the father is there going, look at your mother. She's super hot. How can I not? That is that is horrifying. Yeah. I am imagining your daughter having to, for some reason, or are you just going, like, look at your mother. She's so hot. Yeah, that would, does seem like the sort of thing I would say. Oh God! I'll have to oh, be guarded God. about that because that's yeah. yeah pretty gross. You shouldn't say things like that, and I totally would. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Actually, I'll, I'll yeah. be on the lookout that's for a, that. It's a warning for many years in the future. Ruby later hears classmates in the cafeteria mocking the incident. Miles apologizes and tells her he told only his friend Jay, who in turn spread the story. But she wants nothing to do with him. There's not really a good out here for Miles. He gets away with I mean, he apologizes enough that she eventually forgives yeah. him, but like 
what was he doing? Yeah. I mean, he's a teenage boy. Well, they needed a bit of a crisis, I suppose, and that was it. Right. Um, But, like, uh, yeah, I don't think, uh, to be fair, I mean, how are you not going to tell somebody that when you're a teenager? Yeah, just just don't tell your friend Jay. Yeah, Jay's a prick. She eventually forgives him, and they resume their practice while kindling a relationship. hey Meanwhile, Frank and Leo struggle to make ends meet with the fishing business as new fees and sanctions are imposed by the local board. At a board meeting, everyone is angry about the fact that more boats are disappearing from the harbour despite the fact that the council is trying to help. During the yelling, Frank stands and announces that he's going to start his own company to get around the new restrictions and intends to sell his fish on his own, inviting other local anglers to join him. Jesus, who wrote this? The family struggles to get the new business off the ground, relying on Ruby to spread the word. Yes, the other local anglers is a point of contention for me there, <laughs> I have to anglers. say. <laughs> Just a bunch of retired There's guys <laughs> going, uh, yeah, yes. sure, I'll do that. They're, they're wading knee deep into, <laughs> into the sea off of Gloucester, Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah, all of that stuff just kind of went by me a, bit, a little bit. Like, I mean... This is yeah. This the whole is where it's uh, Billy, Billy Elliot diluted because you know Billy Elliot has the yeah. real background of Thatcherism in Newcastle to bounce off, right. and then you know the screenwriting here has uh, something with fishing. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, yeah I mean Shan uh, Hader. Okay, I keep wanting to. There's different pronunciations of her name, but I checked it out. Shan Hader. She, uh, I think she. Uh, holidayed a lot around that area when she was a kid in New England. I want to say she's not the biggest expert on fishing in Massachusetts, but fair enough. It worked. Got it. There was there was enough there. I enjoy seeing uh, boats. I like boats. Have you seen Don't her like first cars? Film? Like boats? No. That's okay. What's it called again? It's from twenty eighteen. I'm gonna say. Yeah, Tallulah. That's right. Yeah, I may it's well got watch um, it eventually. It's got. Uh... Elliot Page dressing up as a lady. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mr. V encourages Ruby to audition for Berkeley College of Music, his alma mater. Every time people said Berkeley, I thought it was the other one. You silly with a old y, sausage. Not Berkeley. Would you like to know some uh, graduates of Berkeley College of Music? Yes. Uh, famous alumni include Raman Jawadi the composer of Game of Thrones and nice. a bunch of other stuff, and person of interest, the Jonathan <laughs> Nolan show. <laughs> Howard Shore. Good for you, Howard from Shore. From off of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Alan Silvestri. Wow. This is... um, these, these, are just the film, these are just the film composers I'm talking about so far. Uh, Annie Clark, a.k.a. St. Vincent. A lot of musicians, like a lot of awful uh, pop people like Charlie Puth. Who's that? But... Yeah, he's some awful pop guy. But he writes a lot of songs. He's like a kind of Ed Sheeran type. Uh, there's quite a lot of well-known people who dropped out as well, which is not that surprising because they decided that they didn't want to be educated about music. They wanted to make it. So we expect a lot of things from Amelia Jones. Yeah. What do you, th- what she, what do you think Ruby's going to do? She's going to be a kind of a Lord figure. Yeah. I am Lord. <laughs> Lord, Lord, Lord. <laughs> That's right. She's actually Stan Marsh. Uh, uh, genius. So Mr. V encourages Ruby to audition for Berkeley College of Music, his alma mater. He offers her private lessons to prepare as he's already privately tutoring Miles. Mm. Ruby agrees by her increasing commitments to the family business. Uh, her parents are dependent upon her to interpret for them, cause her to be late for their lessons. 
Mr. V grows irritated with Ruby's constant tardiness and chastises her for wasting his time and not caring enough about music. Is it bad to say that I was shocked to see that he was straight? Or am I actually... Is Wait, wait, wait. Have I just... Have I just decided that he was straight because he had a child and therefore... <laughs> I don't think any of it's bad. No, wait. Do we, but, no, but do we see him with a lady? N- no, we don't see him with a lady. But we see so him being... like a gay partner. We, we see him being a music teacher and we see him that he has a kid. So Wearing we assume scarves. he adopted. <laughs> well, I only made that assumption now. He does have some beautiful scarves. I mean, he's also Mexican, so, you know. Yeah, and he's suggested both sides now by Joni Mitchell. Yeah, but he's also privately tutoring Miles. But he's privately tutoring Ruby. Hmm. Both are, like, infinitely bankable setups for pornographic films. Yes. And maybe that'll be the sequel. I've already thought of names for sequels. Why is it like children of Irish parents? Children of Irish parents. No, so first of all, you've got um, Colba, obvious one, but it's going to be a quick cash-in sequel. Children of uh, of blind adults. Oh yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So that that's what's going to happen. There is um, Ruby's family are all going to lose their sight, and uh, then that w- people will see that for the cynical ploy it is, and they'll just so then as a as a means to completely reinvent the franchise, they'll release um, Punk, which will be Prisoner of North Korea. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'd watch that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prisoner, Prisoner of North Korea, Cell Block ninety nine. There you go. While fishing one day, when Ruby is off swimming with Miles, Frank and Leo, with an unfriendly federal fishing observer <laughs> on board. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> with an unfriendly federal fishing I observer. I didn't think she was particularly up. unfriendly. She's doing her job. No, she was doing her job. A professional. Yeah, yeah. Unf- unfriendly, because she refuses to bend the rules. There's a clearly an extremely dangerous situation occurs. They are intercepted by the Coast Guard after failing to respond to shi- failing to respond to ship horns and radio calls. Fairly important. By the same token, Ruby was off swimming with Miles. That yeah, was yeah, nice. she was off with some boy. They jumped. Yeah, and they jumped uh, off of those cliff things into the lake. But didn't cool. her brother have a go at her just uh, the day before? So that's it. Justifies it. Yeah, she said. Uh, her brother said to her, "Like I'm going to be, I'm going to be laying brick for the rest of my life." Every morning when I, <laughs> I pull up outside your house. Oh, uh, yeah. Boston movies. Because that's what this is. It's Billy Elliot slash Google hunting. They are fined and have their fishing licenses suspended for negligence. While they tell Ruby she should have been there, she tells them she can't always interpret for them, and this was not her fault at all. They appeal and manage to get their license back on the condition that they have a hearing person on board at all times. Ruby announces to the family that she is foregoing college and will join the business full-time. Her parents are supportive, but Leo reacts angrily, insisting that they can manage without Ruby, as she truly has talent. It's not your fault, Ruby. <laughs> you take the Ruby's range. family... At- yeah, exactly, because fuck them. Ruby's family attends her choir recital, and while they cannot hear her sing, they notice the positive reception from the surrounding audience. Yeah, I thought that was... That was a classy touch, dropping the audio. Yeah, yeah, that worked really well. I that got a few really tears out of me. To get that, get that perspective. It's very nice. That night, Frank asks Ruby to sing for him while he feels her vocal cords get growing emotional. The entire family then drives to Boston with Ruby for her Berkeley audition. Yeah. Before her audition, she sees Miles, who reveals he blew his audition. Uh, I don't know who his audition was. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and wishes her luck. I mean, you do what you do to get into Berkeley College of Music, don't you? <laughs> and so he got in with flying colors. <laughs> he wishes her I drew, luck. I just went in there, sucked their dicks. You know, I don't, I'm not talented. <laughs> Why? He he was being privately tutored by Mr. V. So. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. Uh, Ruby's family are prohibited from entering the audition hall on account of the smell, but they sneak up to the balcony <laughs> while Mr. V comes to, to accompany her on piano. I have to say, when the father asked the mother, do you want to go upstairs? I thought for a second that he was like, do you want to go for a shag? Yeah. Did you think that? Well... Am I an idiot? No, I no, I thought if they're at a recital, I thought they just wanted to sneak onto the balcony, which is what they do. They sneak up to the balcony while Mr. V comes to accompany her on piano, which is great. That is the like, well, this that's this is very unusual, yeah, but yeah, we'll yeah. allow it. Class of nineteen seventy four, it's me. Yeah, which again Ruby I had no nervous. problem with. Zero problem. <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? Ruby is nervous and unprepared at first, but after Mr. V fakes a mistake on his accompaniment. That was nice. She's allowed to start again and gains confidence when she sees her family. She signs along while singing Both Sides Now by Joni Mitchell so they can understand what she is singing. I'm in floods of tears because uh, of a combination yeah. of the song and the gesture. And I also have to say, despite the fact that I, I like, I do like Joni Mitchell and I've liked the song for many years, only um, listen, I, it just did strike me uh, how absolutely, uh, insanely brilliant those lyrics are to that song. Just like what a sort of poetic device to have, like you know, I've seen the good stuff and the bad stuff, and you know, uh, yeah, and the way it was a very nice performance, yeah, yeah, from Alla Jones's uh, daughter. Maybe she's uh, she's going to take his crown as the best singer in the family. No, let's not get crazy. Sometime later, sometime later, Ruby is accepted to Berkeley. Not that one. Her family and Mr. V are delighted with the news. She invites Miles to visit her in Boston. Because he's a loser. He didn't get in. Mm. Meanwhile, the hearing workers in the family's fishing business have been learning sign language, enabling them to communicate with and interpret for the family. Ruby's friend, Gertie, drives her to Boston for college as her family sees them off. Ruby signs, I love you so much. Literal translation, I really love you, to them as they drive away. What about Gertie? That's quite early on that she's shagging the brother, Leo. Is that okay? Yeah. High school senior. How old's he supposed to be? In his 20s? I don't know. Yeah, I suppose. The, boy, the boy's going to jail. <laughs> he should be. He should be done in. He's a nonce. I like the fact, like, she is uh, well characterized, actually, I would say, as exactly the sort of girl who'd be turned on by uh, punch. And she's right. It is actually yeah, a good punch. Uh, he hits that guy with a good punch. It's very, very, ma- that part's Manchester by the sea. Oh, totally. Yeah. Anyway, mm. uh, might have been the low expectations. Well, they definitely helped. But uh, yeah, I'm glad you're with me on this. I had such a good time watching it. It was a film that while other ones were splitting the vote, this one came up at the top. Mm. A, a crowd pleaser. And sometimes that's all you need. What uh, What's coming up on the new releases schedule? That's a good question. I am currently in Croatia. I don't know if they have cinemas. So it might, for me, it would, might have to be something in the streaming variety. I noticed that the Batman has found its way onto streaming platforms, uh, but we have already watched and talked about that. Yes, we have. It's pretty Let's good. Have a look at what I might watch that again. Is coming out. The unbearable weight uh, of massive talent the is coming. North up. Man. Oh, the North is Man is this the, Friday. It's coming out in four days. Yeah, 
So hopefully, is that only going to be released in cinemas? Well, I'll tell you what, if um, I'll be going to see that hopefully this weekend uh, and hopefully in Phenomena. So if you can get a hold of that before the next time around, we'll do that. Yeah, we've got enough time. We've got a couple of weeks. Who knows that might happen? So let's just make a promise that we don't know if we'll be able to keep. Next, uh, apparently the the unbearable weight of massive talent is supposed to be quite good as well. Yeah, I read the but script for that. If I can get hold of any of those things, that would be very nice. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is out on the sixth of May. That's a little too late, but yeah, we got a few things coming up. There's no cinema near you, is there? Not right now. I'm in. I'm still in the town of Zadar, but. Next week, by the time we next record, I'm going to be in Rijeka, which is slightly bigger. Does it still have like a nice sunsets and water and stuff? God, I hope so. That's what I live for. Anyway, I'll give the absolute promise then. I promise we'll be uh, talking about uh, Robert Edgar's next film, The Northman. That's true. But before that, the next episode's... We are going to be watching the three Sean Baker films. Yes. That we mentioned before. Which uh, Tangerine, The Florida Project, and Red Rocket. Speaking of which, I'm going to log off soon enough and get at least one down on that list. All right. Nice. Uh, happy Easter. Even, I mean, happy most, even nice for Protestants, I suppose. And um, sure. I love you. Goodbye. I love you. Bye. You're all I need to get by. Sweet morning dew I took a look at you And it was plain to see You were my destiny